In a world where planet-threatening, civilization-ending, humanity-uniting movie tropes lie scattered throughout a sea of film, one disaster response expert, with the help of her plucky producer sidekick, will gather together a panel of experts to discuss. Wait, what? Why the f did they do that? That's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. Welcome to Disaster Peace Theater. Welcome to Disaster Peace Theater. I'm Anna, and I'm joined by the always hungry but never munching your brains, Rev. Hello. <laughs> well, this week we are looking at Army of the Dead. Released in 2021, Army of the Dead finds Las Vegas abandoned and walled off with an army of undead trapped inside. Casino owner Bly Tanaka puts together a team of mercenaries to retrieve $200 million from a vault in his casino deep inside the now quarantined Vegas. The team quickly discovers that the story they were fed isn't the whole story. Which revelation is just too much for the team to handle? Is it just that some zombies are actually intelligent? How about that some zombies can procreate? How about Bly's plan to retrieve the zombie queen's head, sell it to the government for way more than $200 million, and let the U.S. create their own army of the dead that they can control with the queen's head? Yeah, that's the one. In the end, as you might expect, this being a zombie movie, no one, and I mean no one, truly gets anything close to a happy ending. Today we are joined by a, a special guest. You might know him as an apple connoisseur. You might know him for his bird photography, but usually he's an incredible author of books such as Invasive, Wanderers, and many, many more. We're joined by Chuck Wendig. Hi. So that was my intro for you, Chuck. What's your intro for you? Uh, no, no. You covered the apples, birds, and books. I feel like that's it. <laughs> I, have, I have nothing else to offer to the book. It's a good, it's a good trio. So as Rev mentioned, um, we're going to be talking about Army of the Dead today. So last week was a very intense engineering deep dive into ships. This week, we wanted to focus a little differently. Uh, we wanted to um, look into a super popular genre and talk about what it takes to like write about these things and make them interesting and revitalize them and, and how you do that. And so specifically, we were talking about zombie movies. And Chuck, you actually suggested Army of the Dead. Yeah, for a few reasons, because it's like, first, it's, it's newer, so it, it's not necessarily a classic. Um, you know, Zack Snyder whatever you may think about his filmmaking and his choices, my personal belief is he should mostly stay away from superheroes, but mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. go with zombies. Like his, his Dawn of the Dead remake is uh, to me a superior film, um, at least in terms of its, the, the tension that it brings to the table. So he's really good at that sort of horror action, horror kind of thing. And so uh, army of the dead does some different stuff with the zombie genre, which is unusual. You don't get a lot of different stuff. Yeah. It's almost always the exact same thing. It's, you know. It's some spin on it, yeah. I mean, and obviously this is still a spin on it, but it's definitely got its own thing doing. Yeah, and, and when I was looking at potentially doing a zombie movie, I have some friends who work in the medical field, and my brain went, no, we've spent the last three years talking about how things are transmitted. Let's not talk about <laughs> zombie as a pandemic. Yeah. Like, we're, yeah. we're all kind of over it. Um, pandemic Exactly. And there were some parts where it kind of reminded me of your book Invasive, because you wrote about ants. Fun, quick side thing is my, my poor husband first read that book when we were in Hawaii. And uh, <laughs> oh, no. it's about ants in Hawaii. Yeah. Without giving too many spoilers. But yeah, for like the rest of the time we were there, anytime we were sitting outside, he was like, 
he would feel phantom <laughs> ants occasionally. And I thought it was hilarious. You know how when you start thinking about the ants, you feel the ants? Oh, it's literally the opening uh, piece of the book is the definition of the word formication, right? The idea that you're imagining bugs crawling on your skin. Yeah, the hardcover actually has little ants printed in the, the paper, like little so you open all the way and see them until they're near the binding. One of the things that you did in Invasive is this whole idea of the hive mind, you know, the ants, queen, you know, and all that. And they did that in this movie. What is it about this whole idea of the hive mind being dangerous? I think it's because, and this is my guess, and why the, the ants kind of work in Invasive to some degree, um, and why aliens, the xenomorphs work. Uh, in the alien films um it's because it's just really inscrutable it's not something we understand uh as human beings this idea i mean we understand hierarchies and we understand following a person but uh we don't understand the idea of having um some sort of royal being that we uh are literally subservient to uh, almost in a like a sort of a brutalist medieval capacity like we are just meat for the machine and workers for the hive and whatever uh, we are is just in service to the larger thing. So um, I think both we don't understand that um, and maybe intuitively there's a part of us that also does understand it and fears it a little bit. Uh, fears getting caught up in that, that we're all just sort of proles or meat for the machine. Um, and so I think it's an easy way. Um, I mean, you could argue maybe a little bit of a lazy way for storytellers to be like, look, it's weird and strange and alien and it's a hive mind and you can't, you can't understand them. They're inscrutable. And then it becomes just the, the, the bad guy. Um, with ants, it was easy. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to in invasive, uh, make a, a particular point about that or borrow that because that's already the nature of ants. Well, and it's, there's an interesting crossover because there is a fungus um, that will latch on to certain types of ants mm -hmm. and actually makes them zombie ants. Yep. And and in the game uh, Last of Us, they kind of take that fungus zombie ant mentality too. So I always think it's interesting how often these things kind of like there's bridges between each of them. Yeah. Where they just kind of connect across. The cordyceps stuff is really fascinating. And I mean, I, I don't use that as the specific fungus in Wanderers for the pandemic in Wanderers. But it is a, um, and it still kind of borrows from some of the idea, not in terms of that it turns people into zombies, uh, but that idea that it colonizes you and then changes your brain and literally creates fruiting bodies from your own body and then erupts spores into the environment where they can continue. I mean, it's fascinating that they, the cordyceps sends an ant up a stalk so they can lock in place with their jaws or legs and grow these tubules of spores and they're high up a uh, high enough up that the rain of spores falls down on the other ants beneath them and, and it's very specific like the cordyceps for ants only works for the ants and the cordyceps for mm -hmm. spiders only works for spiders so it's a very keenly tailored uh fungus and i just uh, like white nose in bats or the white nose that hits um uh, snakes and frogs. They're very specific. And that's why it was interesting to borrow uh, fungus as sort of the, the key pandemic driver in Wanderers because they're so keyed into uh, the species that they are inhabiting. And I think one of the other interesting things about like why use a hive mind to unsettle people, there's something about an enemy that doesn't have to communicate, that you do something in front of one of them and they all know, like that, that sense of that you can't escape and that no matter what action you take, you're not going to be able to do anything secretively. If you're seen, it is known. Mm -hmm. Well, and the great thing, too, that Army of the Dead does is that it, and it's something that most zombie films do, is be, uh, it, it uses the yeah. swarm tactic, mm -hmm. right? Zombies swarm you. Like, vampires are an individual 
monster, right? The vampire is a person that you don't like, that they are they run the city and they have, they wear their Floyd cape, whatever whatever particular drama the vampire is bringing to the table. <laughs> they sparkle. Yeah, they sparkle. They're a character. They try to sell you chocolatey cereal. <laughs> and so, um, but the great thing about zombies is they're almost an environmental hazard, like a hurricane. They're like a flood. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're like a swarm of wasps. And I think the Army of the Dead does an interesting thing in that it kind of merges the vampire and zombie thing just a little bit, right? Because the, the mm-hmm. sort of the king and queen are a little bit vampiric. Like they're a little more mm-hmm. present and they have a little bit more character and they kind of hiss and they, they enter a room and all the, <laughs> the other zombies are sort of subservient to them. And, you know, so mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting thing that also happens in this film that it's um, uses the swarm mechanic of suddenly there's zombies and they're all on you, but also that swarm is governed by uh, more charismatic creatures. Some people consider I Am Legend to be one of the first of the zombie genre books. And don't even, we're not doing that movie because I hate that movie with a fiery passion because they F up the ending and the whole purpose of that book. Yeah. Um, if you haven't read that book, it is incredible for the way it ends. Don't let someone spoil it for you. Just read it. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things they talk about is it feeds into this fear of the masses of if all of a sudden a massive group of people is starving, they will charge the walls. It's this idea that large enough group of desperate people can do things that a couple people can't and you can get overwhelmed. So there was one study, um, and I'll put the link out on Twitter for people who want to read it, um, where they talked about that zombie genres tend to spike when society is going through a time period where there's fear of a depression, like financially, or there's fear of um, the other, like a group of people. When you said the bit about the hurricane, I can tell you that being a rescuer during Katrina, being involved in all of that, and seeing those massive crowds, I genuinely have a PTSD response to giant crowds now. I cannot be caught in a giant crowd. I get I get wigged out. And and you're absolutely right. It it feeds into that. Oh my God, there's too many. I can't. I'm overwhelmed. Fear. Yeah, and it's like even in the most zombie films, and Army of the Dead is no, no exception to this. Like you know, you ha- you f- have to get to higher ground. You sort of it's all about using the architecture to hold them off. Uh, it's it's not just about engaging with them as an individual monster. I mean, to some degree it is, but they're all dispatched the same way. It's like cut, cut off the head, shoot them in the head, whatever their particular method is in whatever um, story. But it's always about, and you can't defeat the horde. You just can only hold it back with, you know, the sandbags and shotguns. But otherwise it's like you're just... Uh, it's an ineluctable force. The zombies flow to the lowest spaces, whether they run slow or run fast. Uh, it tends to be an environmental hazard. So in the book, The Wanderers, you took a different twist on it, but when you first start reading it, you kind of think it's going to be a zombie book. So what what kind of cued off that book? I had for years this vision of people sleepwalking to an ineluctable destination uh, for uh, no discernible reason, uh, for good or for evil, we don't know. Uh, one by one, they leave their houses and begin sleepwalking. And they're alive, but they're um, unconscious. And uh, it kind of just persisted with me for years. Like, I uh, I always say that ideas for writers are not really <laughs> as significant as writers think they are. Writers are, or mm-hmm. ideas are, are costume jewelry more than precious gemstones. <laughs> it's all about how you wear them. But uh, for me, it was just an idea that persisted. Like I didn't, I don't even write my ideas down anymore. I just think if it's going to bother me that much for years, it means there's something, to, <laughs> uh, but I didn't know what to do with it. It was just, uh, it's not a story. I just had a mechanism, like a plot piece in my mind, but there was no story there. So, 
uh, it really was in the lead up to like the 2015, 2016 political season that, um, you know, a lot of things just started to kind of hit harder, uh, whether you talk about the white supremacy or, the, you know, the, obviously the disaster of our political machine or um, artificial intelligence plus climate change plus post-antibiotic uh, age. All of these things uh, started to kind of rise up. And I thought, well, I'm greedy and lazy, so I'm going to take all of my anxieties and just shove them into this book. And it really catalyzed <laughs> and made all the sense of the sleepwalkers and, and then, you know, what the sleepwalkers represent and then what the pandemic um, that occurs in and around them uh, also means uh, for the world. So it was sort of a uh, both a metaphor and a way for me to deal with a lot of weird anxieties about the way things were headed. Um, the other thing they had in there that was really interesting was zombie animals, mm -hmm. like the tiger and the zombie horse. And we don't see that in a lot of a lot of zombie movies. Like in a lot of zombie movies, the animals are there to help you. What are your thoughts on like adding that twist? Like it just it's such an interesting thing to add. Like, do you think you'd become a zombie if you got bitten by a zombie tiger? Like, or would the zombie tiger just eat you? I don't know. Uh, that's a good question. I assume it's the same mechanism. And I'm not, I don't quite remember Army of the Dead making any, I mean, it's clearly a pathogen because a bite turns you. It's not simply, because some of the zombie myths are uh, like Walking Dead is like, well, we're all dead. It, as soon as we die, we get up. Yeah, we're all infected. It doesn't, whether it's a, considered a pathogen, some uh, mythologies are supernatural in origin. You get up regardless of dying. Um, this one is clearly a pathogen, so I think biting you, if it was a tiger, it would do it. But I, I like it. I think usually the animal zombie thing is get, uh, more in, like, fantasy. Like, if you, you know, Elden Ring is the big popular game right now. They have all <laughs> kinds of undead things. Oh, I hate that uh, game. That are not just, oh, yeah, I love that I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> I want to know who bit the tiger. Yeah, that's a good like... question. Well, I mean, if you're a zombie, you know what? You just, you're a bitey. You're a bitey friend if you let you. Everything gets a bite if you're a zombie. Another thing I kind of chuckled about, well, with this movie, you know, dropping the bombs made sense because Vegas is so generally isolated from other things. Like mm. when you drive out of Vegas, it's not like the urban spread you see in San Francisco or anything. You drive out of Vegas, you're gone. You know, it's, it, it's, that's it. So dropping the bombs on it actually made sense because, well, get rid of the, get rid of the problem. And then barricading it made, made a lot of sense. Um, but I had to chuckle. I was like, there is no way our government would actually understand this thing fast enough to contain it before they got out of that vicinity. Mm -mm. Yeah, COVID has changed how I think of movies like that. And I'm like, we would now be trying to learn to live with the zombies. Like, well, the zombie plague is fine. Just make sure businesses are open and don't we'll just wear your zombie helmets and don't let them <laughs> bite your face. Vegas is still okay, everyone. You're fine. We do a yeah. lot of air circulation. Good, no good big deal. Them. We don't want to shut that down. Yeah, that's a big part of our economy. Exactly. <laughs> the economy, don't worry about the zombie. You know, I will say that parachuting poor enlisted folks into there would be something that would totally happen. Mm -hmm. um, Definitely that. Yeah. Well, and, and that the idea that this thing was in a government vehicle to begin with yeah. um, feeds into that that fear that there's these pathogens being developed in all of these different secret locations. Um and that that's how that got out. Because if you remember with COVID, one of the big rumors has always been that the Chinese actually developed COVID-19. Right. The kicker right. of it is, is they've proven, yeah, they've proven that that's not actually possible. They've looked at it and they're like, no, there's none of the markers to, to show that this was created. Yeah. Um, so to anyone listening, it wasn't a created virus. It was a naturally occurring uh, xenomorphic, I think is what they call it, when it hops from species to species. Uh, zoonotic, yeah. Zoonotic, there we go. It just shows you this sort of, 
and I understand it, but the inexpertise that goes on with people who believe that they're experts because zoonotic jumps are really the most common way we get sick. bird flu, swine flu, flu in general, HIV, zoonotic jump. Yeah. So many diseases that we suffer popped over from some kind of animal and SARS has been, you know, that's not coronavirus. It's not unusual. So the fact that anyone was shocked at all by that, it's another comparison with the alien films and that it, um, the evil, you know, biological force that you cannot contain is trying to be weaponized by government slash corporation. Yeah. Well, another comparison though to Alien is the idea, because we just did an episode on Alien Covenant, yeah. where um, that idea that we created our own destruction. Because in Alien Covenant, the part I was super bummed about was that they didn't play this up more, that like David was created by us, by humans, and yeah. David created the aliens. Like- that's incredible, um, that that idea. And so in this one, one of the things I did like was, yeah, we it didn't just pop up from um, bats that came up from a cave. It it was something we we were responsible for and lost control of. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, also interesting about this movie is they filmed it during COVID. Yes, that's right. So like, um, what is the name of the helicopter pilot? Oh, Tig Tig Notaro in uh, the act. Yeah. yeah, she was never actually. They were never actually in the physical mm-hmm. scenes with any of the other actors. And they were another actor Mm -hmm. and then the replacement they were never in the same space i also like the idea that they took a like a classic bank heist and moved it into a zombie movie like they combined oceans 11 almost with zombies yeah it's actually really smart mashing up of genres um and smart tweaks on the zombie mythology it was that's why i liked it it's just it's um it's kind of a new riff and because it's more action horror than Mm -hmm. straight up horror um you know, which is why I think slow zombies work in a horror film, but fast zombies definitely an earmark of like that action horror genre, like the the blood pumping. You know, everybody's got a shotgun and a little more militarized kind of thing. The other thing is most zombie movies are just about trying to survive it. You know, just trying to live through it. This is a mission. I mean, there's a bunch of surviving in it, but it's it's a mission, and it's a doomed mission. So it's still that same kind of vibe, but yeah, it's a totally doomed mission, especially because you find out that wasn't what it was about anyway. Not at all. Yeah. Not even remotely. Um, and and I, I appreciated that aspect of it. So you recently dipped into the world of horror with Book of Accidents. Mm. It was your first like... The, the trick there though is like I... That's only a technical sense that I pivoted that way. Like it's... Well, it's definitely the first like maybe overtly supernatural haunted housey type. I mean, most of my books are at their heart um, horror novels. Wanderers I wrote as a horror novel. Uh, invasive horror novel. Uh, Zero you know there's a deep body horror vein going on through zeros uh, the miriam black series i wrote as horror crime like i wanted to write a you know she can see how you're gonna die when she touches you and it's like that uh and she sees all kinds of strange hallucinations and can vomit up birds like it's a dark twisted six book series uh so i wrote no one wanted to call them horror because for a very long time horror in publishing was an act what made you decide to actually like call this one a horror? uh it was really like a publisher conversation that was like well you know i knew they were getting more horror interested and like wanders they didn't sell directly as horror but it did get nominated for a stoker nomination so it was definitely the type of thing where you know i was in that space and you know i had the the miriam black series initially was called urban fantasy with its first publisher but then its second publisher called it supernatural suspension which is what joe hill was getting called at the same time they were I mean, they weren't even calling Joe Hill's book horror, just to tell you, you know, just to make it clear how publishing was like, no, no, we don't say that word, horror. 
So, but suddenly horror got kind of hot in like in, in genre horror is huge right now. There are some of the books coming out are astonishingly good. Just today, Amakatsu's uh, The Fervor. What a great horror novel about uh, Japanese internment. Really great stuff. Um, so, you know, I feel like there is a strong sort of, there's, and it's horror at every level, sort of weird, lurid horror and literary horror. And so, you know, I wanted to do something that was in that vein and tell that story. I mean, it has still aspects of some genre bending, um, hallucinogenic fantasy stuff, but at the core for me, it's still like a haunted house, human trauma kind of novel. So one of the things I found, like I've read of yours was also the seven things you didn't know about vultures. So I thought it would be kind of fun. What are the seven things you would do to survive zombies? <laughs> what are, what's your, basically what's your zombie plan? My zombie plan is number one, I die and then become a zombie. And that's probably my whole plan. <laughs> like, I think most people totally uh, overestimate their ability to, though, though at the same time I say that, sometimes I actually try to think of the logistics of, like The Walking Dead or even just sort of any zombie novel, because if you're relying on a bite uh, to be the thing, I would think zombie, I think zombie apocalypses are overwrought. They're like way too fast and apocalyptic. I almost feel like you'd have like a 25 to 30% of the population go zombie. And then the rest would be people being like, well, I don't want to get bitten, especially in a slow zombie epidemic. If it's a slow zombie epidemic, people understand like, well, getting bitten means they turn into a zombie people would just wall up and like they would be society would change fundamentally, but there would always, it's just like COVID there'd be like a zombie presence. And we're just trying to figure out a way to, you know, get rid of the zombies, but we would probably be good about like, I, I don't get bitten. Uh, and it'd be like one out of like 10 people would get bitten every once in a while. You'd be like, well, just like COVID you got sick. You got well, that's a big part of the reason why in a lot of slow zombie films, it's never about the zombies. The antagonists are the people that you're holed up with. Always. Um, World War Z is an incredible, not the movie, the book, yeah, the um, is an incredible version of telling those stories of like why things went wrong. And it usually wasn't the zombies themselves. Yeah, it's systemic um, failure. It was, yeah. it's the systemic failure. That's, I think, why you see zombies popular too. Because there's, there's, you were talking about the riff on what zombies are popular at times of fearing the other. There's also a riff that says, and if I'm correct, it's like zombies become popular during Republican administrations and vampires become popular during Democrat institutions. Um, and I think it's a, it does speak to more than just the fear of the other. It's like, there, that may be the sort of overt thing, but I think there's also fear of systemic collapse. There's fear mm -hmm. of your friends and neighbors. It's not just about, because they're always the ones <laughs> who kind of like get you in the end, right? It's always, oh, well, you know, I, he was my neighbor, but then he hid his zombie bite from me. The zombies, again, become almost incidental and they don't have enough personality to even be seen as the other. But what really is happening is we're afraid of each other. And that's when zombies yeah. arise. Yeah, I love that you're like, no, I just get bitten. Um, that's that's Eric's perspective too. It's realistic. Yeah, because in the in the command center, uh, we always did twelve hour watch rotations, and on the night watch, generally, if it was a good night, it was very slow. So we'd have these in depth conversations, and I think I horrified my guys because they were talking about zombie plans. And I said the very first thing I would do was change the code on the command center door because we had food and water and stuff for 30 days in that space. And then the second thing I would do is rip out the exterior cameras. And they were like, well, why? I said, because when your family shows up at the door and they're like, let us in, we promise we're not bitten. That's how we get screwed. And if you can't see them or hear them crying out for help, you don't know they're there. And they all just stared at me like, you're, you're horrible. And I was like, 
if it is about pure survival. Now, mind you, I had no family in the LA area. I was there by myself. But, you know, it was just, it was one of those things where I was like, what gets you in the end is empathy, yeah. is is your family member. And it happens like in Shaun of the Dead. His mom's been bitten and she's been hiding it because she doesn't want them to worry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I have like my brother and I, who are both in the military, have very extensive zombie plans, including things like going and stealing a sailboat. Is that the end of uh, Spider's uh, Dawn of the Dead? And it still gets yeah. to the end anyway. <laughs> yep. Yep. But like sailing up to the Aleutian chain because the water around it is deep enough that the zombies couldn't just walk through it. And it freezes so hard in the winter that the zombies supposedly would freeze if you listen to World War Z. Yeah. So yeah, we have these very extensive like plans. And yeah, no, we'd probably still get bitten. It de- and like I said, it really depends on the uh, level of zombie. If it's if it's like yeah. 99% of the world is zombie, there's probably not much you can do. But although if it's like, if it's just starting, just like dig a couple pits and like a trenches, be like, they just fall in. Zombies are incredibly foolish uh, uh, bad guys. I actually did, I ran a zombie plan um, of sorts. I was doing a training for the Port of Los Angeles, Long Beach. And I designed the training for all their communicators. And basically it was a biological outbreak and went through the whole thing. And about halfway through the PIO, I want to say for the LA police department goes, Hey Anna, is this a zombie apocalypse scenario? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, but it was, it's realistic because we actually use some of the same communication techniques when the, uh, we had protests in the port because the groups were getting so big, we couldn't control them with police presence. And so we had to communicate differently and the communication styles were the same. So there are actual good lessons I think we can learn from watching these movies and from reading these books is, you know, thinking about like, what would you do in an emergency where you can't leave your house for whatever? And I think I watch zombie movies a little bit differently now that uh, COVID has happened. Mm -hmm. Like it used to be, oh, that would never happen. People would actually, nope, totally would happen. If we can't get people to wear masks, how are we going to get people to wear full body suits where they're not going to get bitten? It's uncomfortable. (laughs) I don't like it. It chafes. Well, and can you imagine if suddenly people's little tiny dogs are zombies too? If dogs become zombies, we're doomed. Dogs and cats. Well, because, yeah. That's yeah, it. if dogs and cats become zombies, we're doomed because there's no way I could double tap my chihuahua. Yeah, so if anybody can tell <laughs> there's no way I could double tap my chihuahua. That is the capstone to this entire piece right here. So we've been talking about, you know, how this, how this movie was different. You know, how Army of the Dead was different because they were able to contain it. Um, the hive mind thing, which is fairly new. Um, the zombies are fast moving. If you were to want to change this genre, like if you were to do the next thing, what's something you would love to see a zombie movie do? I would move very firmly into a purely supernatural zombie mode because so many zombie films at this point are essentially at the core kind of a science fiction conceit. They're a pandemic. They're it's a pathogen. Someone's always trying to figure out like why it exists. It's why I don't like vampire movies that are like, well, there's a blood <laughs> hemogen and it gets in your, the phage. Like, I don't care. I just want vampires to be like, because Satan said so. Like, I definitely, yeah. like, like, I really <laughs> like the, the original, you know, sort of classic Night of the Living Dead is like, hell is full and here they are. Like, that's why zombies <laughs> exist because the dead are walking again. And I really feel like we've lost some of the, cool supernatural components um mm-hmm. as evidence to some degree by the the this podcast we're talking about it from a kind of a disaster perspective and the reason we can do that is because so many mm. current zombie uh fictions and films are so keen to make it kind of quote unquote like a real thing like 
And, and Arlie gets very good at that. Like we barricade off. He thought that through like this plan of what, what systems would do this, how would government react? What would individual people want to do in this space that is now quarantined off? How would you get rid of all of the zombies in one go tactical nuke Las Vegas? So it was a, it's like a very sort of crunchy that like sign an action horror sci-fi component, but there's also the great aspect of just like almost like slasher killer stuff where they're just monsters. Like we don't really have zombies as monsters very much anymore. They're kind of a um, leprotic undead, mm-hmm. like a, a disease ridden thing. So um, I would definitely lean straight into the horror component of it and not the, the sci-fi horror. So army of the dead had a lot of great things going for it. What would you have actually changed? Like what, what, did you look at it and go, eh, I would have made a different decision there um, from the writing perspective? From the writing perspective, it's always, I always go character is my issue. I always feel like movies like this are very concerned with plot over character. Um, and this, I mean, this is a pretty good one. It does pretty well with it, but I still always, there's moments when I'm like, a character trained that way. You're not just talking about like your average goofball bourbon goofball right you're talking about people who are theoretically trained and intelligent and i mean i understand we're also we live in a world where um uh we're constantly seeing seeing disaster response fail because people are making very poor decisions but at the same time uh fiction has to uphold to a certain standard uh even beyond reality itself and so sometimes i feel like characters are making decisions that feel strained because it's and and it's a classic horror movie problem right Mm -hmm. you know like we all know, like that's a dark room and something's whispering from that dark room. Hey, maybe, maybe don't walk in there. That's just, we all don't No, No one will walk in there. Everyone will be like, I'm out. I'm out of the house. I'm gone. But in the movie, they gotta, they gotta walk in the dark room. And to me, it's always more interesting to find out what happens when people act intelligently and then still get eaten. Like that's to me the, the curious thing. Um, you know, and there's also a component of like, these are people who are not really working together, um, which is a tried and true genre staple. I'm not mad at it, uh, but it's also, again, an interesting, sometimes the twist can be like, what if the people actually work well together and then you care more when they die? Like that's a, mm. that's the one thing that about this film, like I didn't have any um, grave misgivings about their deaths. I was like, yeah, cool. He's dead now. Sweet. That person died. I wasn't like, oh God, I'm so sad. Like there's no sadness over people getting got. Train to Basan is like a good one where you're like, I care about the people getting back. Yeah. And and we this is actually something we talked about in Alien Covenant too, was the idea that if these people are really well trained, there are certain things they shouldn't do. Oh God, Covenant's really bad with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And um actually Covenant is the movie that got me wanting to do this podcast. That's right. That's right. I remember you saying that. <laughs> yeah. Um Why would you put the quarantine all the way in the back? Right. And and that's the thing is with some of these movies, it makes it more intense when you're doing the right things and you can't get away from it. Yes. It's why World War Z works. World War Z, the book, works because everyone's acting competently and it still happens. Yeah. And in this movie, there's a few instances of that where they did the right thing and it didn't matter. You know, and like they were doing what they were told and doing the right thing for the mission they thought they were on. And it didn't matter because that wasn't the mission. Right. That makes it scarier for me because I'm like, I could do all the right things and it's still going to go sideways. Yeah. And in, in alien films and to some degree in Army of the Dead too, but uh, really in the alien films, when people are failing or betraying you, it's because they are at cross purposes, not because they're idiots. It's the idiot problem, that I, the lack of competency, because we're really interested in 
sort of competency porn, especially when they're people who are emblems of their craft to some degree, right? They're good at a certain thing. It's like you've assembled an A-team. Uh, so it's like weird when you assemble the A-team and some of them just seem kind of bad at it. <laughs> you know, like, you should, you should be better at this. This is, this is a serious thing and you should probably be better. One of the more realistic things to me was, what do you do with the displaced people? Because we see that after major hurricanes and things like that, where certain communities have this influx of homeless people that aren't homeless because of any reason other than a disaster literally just took out their home. So you have these camps of people that used to live and work in Vegas and now they can't. It's completely overrun. But, you know, this idea that they're now impoverished, they have nowhere to go. And so that money becomes so tempting that they're willing to brave anything to get to it. Yeah. I think is an interesting, like that narrative choice to me made sense. Mm -hmm. But once they got in there, they're, you know, the cross purpose thing, like you said, um, you know, I know that they totally invited the bad cop in there just to be bait. You see it happen. Yeah. She literally invited him in to be bait, which was hilarious yeah. to me. What she did is technically bad, but... Yeah, under the circumstances. I think from a narrative perspective, that makes you question what you would do in that situation. Like if you had to pick someone in your group to be the offering so that the rest of you could make it out alive, what would you do? Yeah, it's why zombie stories both are popular and persevere and also why they're difficult because it's often about people betraying each other and uh, becoming cowardly and acting cowardly. Historically, I mean, that's one of the things too, and I'm sure in disaster response, you have seen this during serious disasters. Um, people are able to come together in communities more than more than they are broken apart, more than they will be treasured. Not a, a universal, absolutely. Um, but uh, like Re- Rebecca Solnit's "Paradise Built in Hell" uh, is a great book about that sort of human response. Um, the human response of people coming together and uh, operating, you know, at a community level. And that's another thing I think zombie films could do differently and be interesting if they. Um, it's, it was actually part of the purpose behind Raining Wanderers and now the sequel Wayward was cleaving to that idea of like what happens when there yeah. are not everybody. Obviously, you can't have like some huggy, feely, Care Bear world where everyone's like, we all work together, tra la la. But I mean, there are communities that stay together and there are communities that work well together mm-hmm. in the context of a particular kind of apocalypse and the strength of those communities and how that still can be dangerous and still can invite uh chaos and terror is interesting mm-hmm. for me to explore more than the just straight up like well as soon as you know there's one bad thing happen we're all gonna eat each other when does wayward come out november november 15th i think <gasps> very excited yeah i'm stoked it's a big book it's as big as big as wanderers huge <laughs> awesome so if you were going to solve the problem of this movie what what do we think the problem of this movie is just that they don't survive to to get the money that they go in to begin with (laughs) yeah i don't know because it's there's so many things going on they're going in for the money but they're not really going in for the money and the people going in for the money don't know that they're they're at cross purposes with the people who have different like Mm -hmm. like an aliens or uh alien um it's like tricky because you don't if you solve the problem you change the story and you ruin the story but you solve the problem by nuking it at the front and then you're done uh, so, or you put together, if you really, if the goal really is money, you put together a more competent team to get the money. Or if your goal is to really get the head, you put in a competent team designed only for that purpose. Part of the problem is that they yeah. separated out for 
sort of cross purposes from the get-go. And so that creates a mm-hmm. breach in the unity of the group. But if you had better unity of the group mm-hmm. and a group that was trained together from the beginning or uh, tasked with this singular purpose and trained to do it, because there's really no training beforehand either. They simply just like, you guys are good at this stuff, get in the van. And then they're suddenly like, they're in Vegas and it's a nightmare. <laughs> uh, obviously you wouldn't ever uh, tackle pretty much any situation like that. Um, for me, I think the thing is, is one of my decisions would have probably come the moment the Merc zip ties the guy and gives it to the queen. My brain would have gone, oh crap, they're sentient. They're organized and they're sentient. This is not what I'm prepared for. Peace out. Yeah. That is the moment I would have turned around because they were prepared for mindless zombies. And now you have a society. Mm-hmm. And oh crap, this isn't just go in, mow down mindless zombies. These are creatures that can understand our our movements. Bye. What about you, Rev? Yeah, I think it's what Chuck said, like not having unnecessary compartmentalization of information. Like if if you had a team that knew why they were there, what they were doing, you probably have a lot fewer problems. Well, and it still would have been a great movie. Mm-hmm. Like it still could have been a great movie that they needed to go in and harvest a certain number of things in order to find X, Y, Z. Well, right. Because if, you, if you're, if you set up a story and it's why, I mean, I love the heist component deeply and it's a great hook, but at the same time, there's a little part of me that's like, if you set up the story as like, we need, it's her head. We need to take a queen zombie's head. Boy, that's compelling. That's like a fascinatingly weird yeah. Uh, unexpected goal. You lose across sort of genre heist aspect, so you lose something there. Well, it's no, it's still kind of a heist. You got to break in, get around all the zombies, steal the head. Also, though, I don't understand why they didn't just bomb it to the ground. Like, okay, you've got them contained. At no point in the movie did they explain why they didn't just evacuate people further and firebomb the hell out of that space. Yeah, even if you don't want to attack them, nuke it. Why? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, don't nuke it because there's other environmental impacts, nuclear wind, but firebomb the heck out of it. Why? Why? Why did they just leave the zombies in a box? Like, that's Pandora's box on a very large scale. Well, and actually a tactical nuke is not a guarantee that you're going to wipe them all out. No, but firebombing from side to side multiple times, multiple times, burning everything to the ground. Yeah. Wait till the fires are out. Do it again. Yeah, keep going. The desert makes enough <laughs> fire. You can, you can do this. We'll, we'll take the zombie land thing of double tap to a whole new level. <laughs> um, but anyway, thank you for joining us, Chuck. I know you're incredibly busy. Stoked for your book coming out in November. If you all haven't checked out his books, um, Invasive, Zero, and Wanderers are probably the three that I would say most closely go with what we talked about today. Um, But lots and lots of great books. Um, Thank you for joining us, everyone, and we will catch you next time. This episode of Disaster Peace Theater, hosted by Anna Visneski, was edited and produced by Brandon Wentz, with intro by Dan Cruiser and Chris Hill. You can contact us, learn more about the hosts, and check out our merch store at disasterpeacetheater.wtf.